So one of the challenges I have of uh, doing these talks back to back is I don't have time for a break. I, use, I drink a lot of coffee. So we're like, you, you we, can run though. How do we give I, myself I a break? So uh, we asked Kaylee to come up and read news headlines. If you're wondering what that's for, it's just a chance so I can run to the back. Uh, well, like I said, it's the middle of earnings season, so it's good timing. There's a ton of stuff happening right now. It is. So, Daniel, you have a, built this remarkable uh, set of metrics, and you study the market in this community, talking about very important macroeconomic issues using data and oftentimes alternative data sources. That's yep. how we met. That is exactly how we met. Uh, was you were following the freight recession conversation. Tell us a little bit about what your organization does and, and how do you use data to sort of understand what's happening? Um, so very quick background. Uh, I, I started my career after getting my MBA in finance on Wall Street. And um, you know, private equity wasn't uh, really a thing back then, but the firm that I worked for, it was. So I kind of saw the future of finance, if you will, from, from its infancy. Uh, after 9-11, things changed. I ended up leaving the industry and uh, writing and writing for a newspaper. I'd gotten my second master's in journalism at night at Columbia. Uh, so I'm writing about the dangers of China buying U.S. treasuries and what it's going to mean you know, if, if, if this housing bubble implodes. And Warren Buffett ended up calling me out to Omaha. That was a thrill. Uh, and then eventually the Federal Reserve came calling. I ended up working inside of a bureaucracy. Does not suit me uh, for the better part of nine years. But advising um, Richard Fisher, who was another kind of practitioner as opposed to academic, PhD academic. I think that that's what's wrong when broken with economics is that we follow PhDs in economics who don't really have a sense of what's happening on the ground in the economy because they're all model driven. Um, I ended up working there for nine years, and when Richard retired, Richard Fisher retired, I retired, I, f I followed him out, and I've had a very independent, and I mean independent, all caps, uh, economics, research, finance, investing firm ever since then, and if there was one thing that I learned from nearly a decade inside the Federal Reserve, it's that, it's that other economic indicators that economists don't follow, those are the ones I need to find, and that's when I found you in early 2022 and specifically March 2022, when you said, this economy's hit a wall. And boom, I was hooked ever since I started following you because freight, the way I was raised in economics was the world begins with chemicals. Chemicals are the most upstream of upstream. It feeds everything that is made and everything that's made is sold. So you start with chemicals. What I've learned from you is you don't, because some you've got to get the chemicals from point A to point B. You start with freight. So for economists, the holy grail is leading indicators that tell us where we're going. That's freight. So I thank you. So you, you talked about your, the fact that freight is leading indicators. Mm -hmm. There is a massive disconnect between what our industry is currently experiencing and what the GDP numbers that the Federal Reserve looks at, that the government official stats are, mm -hmm. um, there's a big disconnect between GDP data, and it talks about this massive expansion, uh, you know, high, sort of high growth, and what this industry is currently experiencing. We struggle to explain the delta. Oh, it's, it's not easy. Um, but it, a, a little bit of history goes a long way. Um, the U.S. economy was expanding at, I want to say, 4.9% mm -hmm. in December 2007. 
Now, December 2007 was the first month of the Great Recession, mm -hmm. the Great Financial Crisis. But GDP was booming going into it while we were already in recession technically, which nobody tells you until 12, 18 months after the fact. Unemployment tends to bottom when you're starting into a recession. Now, we've already seen the unemployment rate rise from 3.4% to 3.9%. Um, the differentiating factor that makes it even harder to read the tea leaves is the government's never given money away like this. And I'm not talking about the Inflation Reduction Act or infrastructure spending or ESG or DEI. I'm talking about right after the pandemic hit, the government has never directly deposited this much cash into the accounts of U.S. households. It threw off every single parallel, every single benchmark that you could possibly have looked to historically because we were bypassing the banking system. Normally, if money's cheap because interest rates drop down to the zero bound, you've still got to go to the bank and ask for the money and get the loan. What happened after the pandemic with the passage of the CARES Act is you eradicated the banking system from the process. We just gave people money. And what did we get? A, a, a spike. We had lines around Chanel, lines around Gucci, people buying things that they would have never otherwise bought. And then we actually had a kicker of the Paycheck Protection Program and the employee retention credit that have been very stealthy in the background. Many Americans think that last child tax credit that was in cash December the 15th, 2021, was kind of the end point for giving money away. The rental eviction moratorium had lasted 19 months by then, and people think that that's when Uncle Sam quit writing the checks wrong. $757 billion in paycheck protection program loan proceeds were completely forgiven. And then you had another $474 billion on top of that, of this employee retention credit that went to people with the highest propensity to spend because they were smaller business owners who'd never been able to monetize the value of, of their enterprise. And yet there they were. So we saw international travel take off to the moon. But it was recently pulled as my point. So $1.2 trillion that nobody ever talks about was pumped into the economy in cash and didn't slow down until this past July. This summer. Like this summer. Before. This summer. Like you saw green shoots in January. We did. You did. Why? Because employee retention credit proceeds kicked off around the time of the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. With all this spending, they got huge Hollywood personalities um, Kevin O'Leary was all over the the, 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 the the advertising revenue streams. Ty Burrell from Modern Family, he was the spokesperson for the other huge innovation taxes. And the money hockey-sticked. So that, so that, it's interesting because... I mean, billions and billions, $30 billion was pumped into the economy in July. So let's talk about January for a second. Cause like, and then I want to talk about July for a second. But I want to talk about January because I remember sitting in January... Looking at the data and saying maybe this freight recession is over with, and I wrote about this, mm -hmm. and people have reminded me that I've written about no, it. No, I know. I was like, oh, okay, okay. I'm not <laughs> you, seeing it. You actually asked me w w where are you guys getting this yeah. at, at one point, but we were seeing an increase in demand, and it looked like a recovery was on the way. In mm -hmm. fact, we said, look, this appears better, and then it petered out mm -hmm. by the end of January, moving into February, then it started to collapse. You're arguing that that was the em employee retention credit that was being processed at that moment in time and hitting our economy to provide some demand stimulus. 
Absolutely, it was. And when you consider that these are kind of the top 20% of income earners, even if it's a guy with a shoe repair shop down the street, even if it's a small trucking firm that had maybe 10 employees, you give him $260,000 in cash, and he's never been able to monetize to that extent, it's going to get pumped into the economy. So the wife is going to, she's going to trade up. She's going to get a nicer house. And we saw housing. We saw housing as kind of this mini driver at the beginning of the year. I mean, that's kind of all over. But it was an impulse. You just said something that was pretty interesting. The small trucker. Uh We have been, this question has been ubiquitous at this conference. And it has been ubiquitous across this industry for the past year. How is the small trucker that's losing approximately 30 cents a mile for every mile they're running surviving this downturn? And you're suggesting that it's the employee retention credit that happened this year that is not accounted for in any of the data. Now, it started in July of 2020, and it was part of the CARES Act, and it said if your business was forcibly interrupted by the pandemic, you legally can claim a business income tax refund and claw back any paycheck uh, taxes, payroll taxes that you've paid just for, for, because you kept people on the payroll. And it was extended when Biden came into office and even expanded to include startup companies that came out of the pandemic. And that was the real Achilles heel. That was the real invitation for, hey, hey, fraud. Come, come commit fraud. But when people started setting up middle marketing programs, um, innovation taxes, there was this huge expose in the Wall Street Journal. They were paying, they were paying your, uh, you know, they were paying your yard guy to go find his local friends who have really small businesses. Do you have a bodega? Do you have four employees? Okay, I'll pay you 1%. Because that those four employees, that's twenty six thousand, hundred grand. They operated the companies that have now been largely shut down because of the fraud, but they operated on a contingency basis, like an ambulance chaser. So they would collect twenty five, thirty percent of a theoretical hundred thousand dollar income tax refund. They would pay the person who found this person a finder's fee of maybe one percent, and then your small business owner who used to have four employees walks away with seventy five thousand in cash but multiply that times so many companies. And the fact that the marketing became so aggressive way after the pandemic had closed any kind of businesses it's down. Still, it's still happening, or at least- You uh, have get solicited, I'm sure. Off daily, so, where so ERC companies, mm-hmm. these preparers say, you know, there is money available for you from the government. Free money. Uh, effectively free money. And I'm getting hit up because I have multiple businesses registered and I'm on a registration list and I'm getting text messages and phone calls. And it is probably a third of my phone calls or text messages are coming that are that are. It is banned. nonstop solicitation, nonstop. So I, I just gave you the example of a bodega owner with four employees. So one of our clients uh, sold 75% of his family's company to private equity. And over a six-month period... They collected a seven-figure employee retention credit. So I cannot begin to, because people ask me all the time, where's the recession? 
Mm-hmm. Where is the recession? Because stimulus spending ended at the end of 2021. And I'm like, no, it didn't. That's amazing. What happened in July? Well, in July, so the work that we did at QI Research started filtering its way up to the House Ways and Means Committee and to the director of the IRS. And so with some of my help and with obvious signs that this program was riddled with fraud and ballooning. Remember, this is if your business was interrupted through the third quarter of 2021. That was the end point. So all of a sudden people are come to Jesus and filing these claims. So the IRS realized that it was probably getting 90% of claims that were fraudulent. So they were able to pull the plug. It was going to go on until the first quarter of 2024. But now they have extended the statute of limitations to um, investigate fraud from three years to 10 years. And they're going to have all these new employees, all these new IRS agents to investigate this fraud. And there's criminal. There will be criminal proceedings. But what you said. But in July, it peaked out. $29.8 billion one month. August was $13 billion. September was $6 billion. So you just explained the phrase cycle. So what are the things that have been astounding about this cycle? Because we've gotten some false calls this year. You know, we haven't gone super bullish. We said that we think this is the bottom. We did it in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw a really unusual surge, a demand surge in July and August. Mm-hmm. And September really started to peter out in sort of late September, sort of second week of September. And then October has just been a disaster. Yep. Now we're in November, and it is also a disaster. So when you think of July, June, and May, those three months were $82 billion combined. So this is all stimulus-driven at this point. It is all stimulus-driven. It's your taxpayer dollars, hard at work. And when I talk to clients in any walk of life, they're like, my business had a heart attack in September. Mm -hmm. What happened, Danielle? And I'm like, well, they pulled the plug on taxpayer spending. And what we're seeing in auto delinquencies in, you can't, if anybody has a young nephew or have him be a repo man. There's a repo man. Oh, they're 25% lower headcount than they were because they outlawed car payments Hmm. for 12 months, but they, they can't get enough. If they could get enough repo men, we would lose all this car. Well, we're, we're about 1.5 million run rate annually, but if they could up the repo men headcount by 25%, you'd be north of 2 million cars being repossessed on a per annum basis, but they, they don't have the humanity and they get shot at. But what we're seeing in household finance is absolutely frightening. The credit card delinquencies, the auto delinquencies, the defaults, the people scrambling to take equity out of their homes, monetize all of that housing bubble. And you're, you're, you're seeing, again, the, the official unemployment rate is 3.9%. We have surpassed the historic highs that we've seen in consumer delinquencies. And people are like, oh, the consumer is strong. And I'm like, if the consumer is so strong, why are they so in arrears? across the board to a higher extent than they were at the worst in 08, 09. Is GDP data wrong? It's not wrong. But I mean, think about third quarter GDP. That's when your ERC money was at its absolute peak. But you also had you also had this miniature inventory replenishment 
Okay, if you look at rail data on a weekly basis, what has been driving it? Petroleum and cars. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the UAW elects this guy in March. So the big three CEOs, they meet Sean Finn and they're like, oh my God, he's nuts. <laughs> and he's serious. So they jacked up production, the likes of which, I mean, Dallas, Texas, where I am, the rail corridor coming up from Mexico with partially assembled vehicles. I mean, everything went haywire in autos. So you saw this big blip mm. in, in the auto sector. Now, if you look at trade numbers, ex-autos, they've been negative year over year for two quarters in a row. If you look at rail data, ex-autos, flat since April of 2022. So the caboose on the train for cyclicals for the manufacturing sector was, was Detroit not being able to get their hands on semiconductors. So it came back with a huge lag. When they got their hands on it, all of a sudden they're like, we're having a manufacturing renaissance. And I'm like, no, auto's playing catch up. Wow. But what's behind, I mean, who, show of hands, who, who, uh, who out there, if you're possibly awake, um, who, out, who out there thinks that inventories decreased on automobile dealership lots during the six-week UAW strike? Who would think that in- inventories decreased? Well, y'all are smart. I'll take that one. Did they? No. Inventories increased. So when the dealer plants lots. were shut down, the dealers got new, were, had retained their inventory. Yep. They weren't losing it. Because starting in March, after they met Sean Fain, head of UAW, they said, all of the automobile, they were like, we're going to produce to kingdom come. We're, we're going And it's interesting you say that because the freight data backs us up. We've had this conversation. The three markets that have gained market share are Laredo, Texas, cross-border. Laredo, Texas. Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. Petrochemical, Petro. and Detroit, Detroit Auto. Yep. And and we we've said that for for multiple multiple uh, quarters because like we've seen this increase. It makes absolute sense. So now we're past we're past this. Well, we're, since we're, you mentioned it, the rail data that came out yesterday morning was our first negative weekly print for auto shipments that I've seen in I can't tell you how long. But is that but that's a strike related element, isn't it? No, 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 no. The demand's not there. Remember, I just told you that automobile loan delinquencies were at the highest on record. Try getting an auto loan. Oh, so, I, I've actually, my wife wanted to, we have five kids, so we got to have like a bus of sorts. <laughs> I have four, but yeah. This, uh, Denali and... Yeah, you can't have like the, tr- you can't the, have the captain's like chair. You got to have the seat across the middle. Yeah, right? You do. Uh, but it was a 12% interest rate. I was like... Her her interest rate was 0.8% or something on her now, former car. We um, didn't end up buying it because I can't jump like 12%. Like, I mean, the, you know, what I tell people when it comes to cars, and I'm a fourth, third generation gearhead. My son's a fourth. My, my grandfather was an Italian immigrant who was trained to be a mechanic. So I'm a total, total car guy. But what I tell everybody is if you can, if you can muster up the cash or a huge chunk of it, give the guys in the finance department their, their due and pay the damn thing off the next day. Interesting. Such a fascinating conversation. So I have to ask. But it's all autos. Auto. That's what I mean, I'm trying to say. And now your freight recession is going to take another leg down. Well, that's, that, that is what the question that everyone in this room is wondering. And we could spend the next hour talking about this, but unfortunately we don't have an hour. Where do we go from here? Like, what is the state? The question that every, is on everyone's mind in this market is how long, how far, 
is this freight recession going to take? And how painful is it going to be? What is your prognosis based on what you believe is going to happen to this economy? So your biggest actors in your world, they're mean, they're lean, they've innovated, they've automated. Actors being? The biggest players in freight. Okay. You're talking the, the freight companies or the, the manufacturers and the retailers? Freight companies. Okay. So FedEx, UPS, JB Hunt. JB Hunt. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I mean, look what's happening with pilots. Yeah. To, to hear FedEx come out and say, <laughs> we're going to be lowering rates going into the holiday season because we don't see the demand. Well, FedEx is paying or working to get pilots to leave. To leave. And American Airlines is paying a $250,000 signing bonus. My son's got an FAA license. I'm like, it's time to get that next st- step of the license. I know you're just 19, but you can't, you can't drop out of school, but still. Um, but what I keep telling people is this rush into... Your your one chart shows that that you went up to nearly four hundred thousand operators. Mm-hmm. Your trend line is three hundred thousand, assuming no recession. Mm-hmm. So you've still got another sixty three thousand to take out of the system, plus the recession. So you're going underneath that trend line. That's how trend lines work. You break underneath trend lines when you go into recession. So you're going underneath that trend line. How long that takes? Because there's no money, people think that there's all this deficit spending, deficit spending, deficit spending. When it comes to government spending, it's always about what have you done for me lately? And I mean, when you have GM and Ford shut down their electric vehicle plants in the middle of a strike, you know they were itching to do that because they were going to lose money. So the government's having a hard time giving away this ESG and DEI money, but that doesn't matter. It's, it's old-fashioned pork barrel spending that moves its way through the economy slowly. We're seeing infrastructure spending, but look how long we had to wait to see that. It's not, so, you're, so if I'm hearing what you're saying, what's driving demand in 2023 is less infrastructure and more government stimulus yep. in the hands of businesses and con- business owners, if you will, which are ultimately consumers, that are still driving some of the COVID excesses. That is over with is also what that is over with. So if you if you had booked the vacation, you're taking the vacation, but that's it. Talk to any any major airline. They're like international bookings have fallen off a cliff. Yeah, It's interesting. Austin, um, because I I have a side hustle covering airline or aviation. Austin saw like the the direct flights out of Austin. Can y'all all all pray for my horns on Saturday? My husband went to see you. What a train wreck. bears. You're not allowed to do that. Now, we can talk about A&M. Uh, all day long about how bad of an organization that Ole is. Ole Miss pulled it out. That was awesome. Uh, we're Anyways. excited if they lose. Um, but I want to hear talk about college football. Austin. I'm there Austin all the time. cut direct flights by, I think, two-thirds of the cities that had direct flights. And it was a very odd that they did that. Now, someone had said it was because the enterprise software companies that are based in Austin – a lot of it was tech-driven, but you're actually saying it's much more. It's much broader, broader than, that. than that. Is that the airlines are now suffering from this sort of COVID recession? So, we, are we in a world of just rolling recessions where freight saw it a year and a half ago? And I, I don't think we're rolling. I think we're delayed. Well, we're not delayed anymore. And we're here. We're, we're here. Oh, we're right we we have arrived. I mean, people are like, "When did the recession start?" I'm like, "October." That's insane. That's really depressing. October. Too. And it's just getting started because. 
because of WeWork. WeWork. I mean, if there's one parallel to draw between the great financial crisis and Lehman Brothers going bankrupt and where we are today, it's WeWork. And it's not because WeWork some great, big, gigantic, systemically important financial institution. It's because commercial real estate has been frozen. Mm. You haven't had a comp. I'm like, what's a four-letter word in commercial real estate comp? So you haven't had any price discovery in commercial real estate, which means that your banking crisis was stopped after Silicon Valley Bank went down. But the underlying collateral that's backing these loans, it's about to get some price discovery. Because WeWork, they had 79 leases in the, on the island of Manhattan. They reduced that to 47. The day they filed, they reduced it to seven. So you're going to have price discovery in commercial real estate, which is going to be the next aha moment in the banking sector. That's important because your lending standards aren't coming back anytime soon. So commercial real estate, uh, is this a housing crisis 2.0, but it's, this time it's in commercial paper, commercial real estate paper and not in housing? Oh, it's... Are we going to see a, oh, a financial oh, crisis, do you think? We... I don't know that we'll see a financial – it depends on how long my former employer, the Fed, holds interest rates as high as they are. Uh, because in 2024, we segue from having way too much commercial real estate that has to be refinanced to corporate bonds that have to be refinanced. So if you're a walking dead zombie company that doesn't have the cash flow to cover your debts, if you refinance from whatever you issued when it was zero interest rates – and now it's five. So your bankruptcy cycle is really going to kick in. And I'm not talking about bankruptcies in your world. I'm talking about bankruptcies well, there will be some. throughout I mean, the economy. We've seen brokerages, asset-based lines of credit, ABL lines that... Oh, your had, thread a few days ago was 29 tweets. It was 29 bankruptcies. This is yeah, all... Exactly. Is, to your point, I think you've been saying it, is this in the second half of this year? Like, really, July was when... Because I remember coming up on the stage in early teams in March, April, we had this conversation. And the idea of a bloodbath reset based on a recession just had not happened. And it was like, well, there is no bloodbath because these companies are surviving. How are they surviving? And I remember when we started seeing four bro brokerage bankruptcies, first time I'd ever seen that, I went back and looked at all the bankruptcies we covered this year. And I was like, oh my God, there's like 29. And it was funny because I posted that on Sunday, I think. By Monday morning, there was another one. Yep. Uh, Clarissa is very busy. We could have this conversation all day long, and I feel like we've only scratched the surface uh, on all of the things that we have to talk about. Unfortunately, we don't have an, a, a lot of time. Well, so I'm going to throw one thing in there that was the other mini heart attack. So when the GOP won the House of Representatives, they said to Biden, either we declare the end of the public health emergency or you do. Choose. So the other thing that happened at the opposite end of the income spectrum is the supplemental food stamp benefits that were $250 a month for your average family of four and your expanded Medicaid ranks. They all came out of the system. So you saw a spike in, in mothers with school-aged children flood back into the workforce. And the same with older Americans, 55 to 64, because that last, that last expanded Medicaid and expanded food stamps that came out with the CARES Act was that they pulled the plug on that a few months ago. And that's why you've seen people are like, I can get employees. Um, there's it's no amazing. Longer it is amazing because like the trucking companies are not still doing sign on bonuses. And I know from our employment picture is like, you know, we aren't having turnover, but we're also have every job we post, you have an enormous amount of applicants. It feels like 
2019 in terms of the employee availability. It is interesting you say that because I remember back in the first quarter of this year when um, uh, I believe it was ConAgra, PepsiCo, a lot of these food companies started talking about volumes that were down five, six percent in in some of the consumer staples, Tyson Foods, like a reduction. So consumers were, were marking down, but this GDP data has talked about a robust consumer. It's very confusing. Um, and un- unfortunately, it sounds like from your perspective, um, there's very little hope. I-, I have to leave my audience with something positive. Is there anything that they can look forward to? Is it in five years this resets? Can we give them something positive? It's the last day. Well, I mean, no, no, I, I will say this much. Um, there is, you can rent. A-, a, you get money in your cash and a lot of it. So you don't have to go out and play, you know, crazy stuff in the stock market or the bond market or what have you, because you get paid on your cash. And B, there's so much supply coming online in multifamily and apartments that you don't have to tippy-toe into this crazy, bubblish housing market. You can wait until that implodes and rent. And, and the rents are coming down so hard, so fast, because you've got a, you've had 1.2 million units come online for, in the three years through 2022. You've got another million units coming out of the pipeline. So you can sit back eat your popcorn, drink your beer, and wait this thing out, make money on your cash, and not overpay for a house. But this is true in all asset classes, is it not? I mean, there's a lot of venture-backed companies. Some of them have exhausted their their cash raise, or at least on the process of doing so. What I'm hearing you say is economic conditions in a macro environment are about to get worse. Mm -hmm. And as they do, asset prices, including companies, Mm -hmm. their inability to raise additional financing is a real risk. So they'd better be cutting their burn as fast as possible, yep. get some religion that it's not coming back. And at some point in time, the opportunity to make spec- speculative acquisitions or sort of feed off the carcasses of these businesses is a real deal. So vulture capitalism, if we were in the venture capitalism mm-hmm. stage of freight, vulture capitalism yep. of just eating the carcasses of your of businesses is yeah. coming. It will be coming. You have to wait for the stupid money in private equity to overpay first. Once you get past that, we're done with that. Then right? you're going to vulture. I mean, I'm hearing these conversations talking to, to private equity firms. They're done with overpaying. Like the valuations have really reset. You're but they're also seeing... waiting for the distressed moment. Is my point. Well, that's exactly it. They're, they're talking about they're not. They're just not doing a lot of deals. Yeah. Because the deals just aren't attractive. Uh, You'll know when there's blood in the street. You'll see it. Well, there is in our space. I mean, we've seen, you know, Convoy was a business that had Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. Major backers. It, it, the dream team of investors, it it could not find a lifeline. And it was getting guidance from its banker that there wouldn't be a problem raising capital. Um, and that's just like, you know, Chewy.com is incredibly successful, but Pest.com went away. Yeah. But they wrote the book. And somebody came in after financing was available, and they were like, great, somebody's already written my game plan. Well, unfortunately, we don't have any more time. We've certainly gone over. Oh, sorry. No, no, you're fine. It's my fault. This is a fantastic conversation. Daniel, I really appreciate your time. Thank Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.